What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'll be hosting today's episode, and I'm joined by Joanna Bromley, a certified mental performance consultant in the Milwaukee area. Joanna has a lot of experience both as an athlete, a coach, and as a mental performance consultant working with youth athletes. She played Division I soccer for UW-Madison while earning her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology, and then she started working as a coach with FC Wisconsin, an elite youth soccer club in the Wisconsin area, before going back to school to get her Master's in Performance Psychology at UW-Milwaukee. Joanna has a lot of experience dealing with athletes and helping them learn mental tools and mental skills to help aid their performance, and I think any athlete is going to get a lot out of this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm joined today by Joanna Bromley, a certified mental performance consultant. Joanna is also a former Division I soccer player that now specializes in helping athletes develop mental skills to maximize their performance and achieve their long-term goals. So, Joanna, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to uh, dive into this a little bit. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. So I always like to start with just a little bit of a background on kind of how you got to where you are today, um, both as a mental performance consultant and then now running your own business as well. Yeah. So my journey kind of started in undergrad. Um, I went to UW-Madison and I got a degree in psychology and was pretty certain I wanted to do something in the mental health field. So after I graduated, I worked at Rogers Memorial Hospital for two years and then simultaneously did some coaching in the evenings. Um, I very quickly realized that that was not the place for me. Um, And I definitely have a lot of respect for anyone who can work in that field. Uh, But what I did realize was that I wanted to try to mesh my kind of love for psychology and sport. And so I started to look into this idea of sports psychology or becoming a certified mental performance consultant is the, um, is my title. And so I decided to quit at Rogers. I applied to get my master's in kinesiology with an emphasis in sports and performance psychology at UW Milwaukee. Um, and as I kind of made my way through the program, I, I realized that I maybe had some mental, um, blocks, maybe you call them, or some confidence issues, some focusing, focus issues, both at the youth level and at the collegiate level. Uh, And so at that point, I kind of made it my mission to try to reach as many athletes as I, as I could and kind of help them with their mental performance journey, but more specifically youth athletes, because you know, reflecting on the support that I received as a youth athlete, it's like you have the coach, you maybe have the strength and conditioning that you received through school, but I didn't even know that there was sports psych or a certified mental performance consultant, someone who could kind of help me with the mental aspect of things. So my mission was kind of to bring more awareness to the youth population. And the easiest way to do that was to kind of start my own business. And so um, did that while simultaneously kind of getting my hours and working towards my CMPC. And then here I am now. That's awesome. 
it's a good story. And I mean, I think it just, um, it's so helpful for people to actually have experience in what they're doing. And I'm sure with you being able to talk to athletes from like, yes, you have this training, but you also have experience as a youth athlete, as a college athlete, and you can really kind of relate to what they're going through in a, in a very real way that, that somebody that doesn't have that experience might not be able to. Yeah. It's definitely much easier to build trust. Um, and, um, you know, it's much easier to kind of converse with them. Like, Oh, I understand because I truly do. So yeah, absolutely. That's great. Let's just maybe start diving into kind of what a basic overview of what, um, mental performance consulting is, or maybe some examples of like, we'll probably talk a lot about different mental skills, quote unquote today. Um, like maybe a couple of examples of what those mental skills might be just for people that aren't familiar. Uh, yeah. So I use the words mental skills and then mental tools. Um, those are two very different things to me. So some examples of mental skills are like intensity regulation, um, confidence, maybe motivation, um, focus, uh, emotion regulation. And then the mental tools are the things that you use to kind of impact or regulate those mental skills. So this could be things like self-talk strategies, breathing strategies, mindfulness, um, goal setting, uh, imagery, routines. And so those skills kind of help you um, get a little bit more control of your anxiety, boost your confidence, become a little bit more intrinsically motivated, for example. Yeah, I think that's that's great. It's definitely something that I, I uh, probably could have used when I was a youth athlete as well. I think we all could. I, truly, I think we all could. So um, yeah, yeah. And so then kind of as, as you're working with a client, is it like identifying areas of the mental skills that they need to improve on and then trying to like teach them some of those tools and get them to like enact those? Is that kind of your, your role with somebody that's, that's working with you? Yeah. So I would say to start, it's really getting to know the athlete that first like one to three sessions is very laid back kind of like we're doing here, very conversational, trying to understand what their performance goals are and their expectations are from me, what they you know, would like some help with based on what they know about sports psychology. Um, and then from there, it's usually the first step is more psychoeducational. So it's talking about, okay, well, what is confidence? So for example, like what does a confident Michael look like? Um, what does it not look like? What does he feel like? If I paint me a picture, if I were to come and watch you play and you were to tell me that that was a good game for you, you performed confidently, what would that look and feel like? And so then from there, it's trying to teach them like what it would take to kind of boost that confidence, how confidence impacts your mind and your emotions and how it impacts you physiologically. And then kind of the next step would be um, figuring out a strategy that would work best for them. Um, and it's kind of trial and error from there. So they go off, try that strategy, see if it works. If not, they come back, we kind of tweak it and mold it to truly try to make it their own. That's great. Um, I mean, I think just so it's just been such an interesting thing to really watch kind of your field particularly explode over the last 
10 years, but I mean, I think really, especially over the last five years where it's becoming more and more common um, to have it in a private setting, but especially in team sports settings um, to have access to professionals like yourself to help, help athletes with things like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, you're right. It's, I think it exploded at the professional level and collegiate level, maybe more like that five to 10 years ago, but I feel like only recently has it um, been talked about at least amongst the youth population, I feel. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that it's, it's great for you. There's a definitely a wide market of, uh, of, of athletes that, that would benefit from, from some of these things. A need is good. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So maybe could you share some examples, um, from your time as a D1 athlete of, like where now you kind of share that reflecting back, like where you would have seen some of these mental skills helping you and, um, or like how you might've been able to incorporate some of these mental tools into like your routines, if you were to have a chance to do it all over again. Oh, if I were to have the chance to do it all over again, this, I, I wish, um, no, but my, my journey was pretty successful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but I definitely wish I had access to, uh, a few more resources at the college level. Um, I mean, we had a sports psych available to us at Madison, but we really weren't made aware of her. And quite honestly, I think she, you know, football, basketball, baseball, that kind of thing, um, came before, before us. Um, I think, you know, I didn't realize that these were mental skills or tools that I was using, but I definitely implemented like a routine pre-practice and like a pre, uh, competition routine. And I think that helped ease a lot of the pre-competitive, uh, pre-competitive anxiety that I felt. Yeah. Uh, I think just feeling prepared, have everything, having everything in its place, knowing the type of food I wanted to eat, what I needed to kind of think about and run through before the game, um, that eased my anxiety that made me feel prepared and kind of ready to do my job on the field. So I used to utilize that routine quite a bit. Um, I also think back then I just called it distracting myself, but really it was more of a refocusing technique. Um, I would use that a lot during the game. I would get caught up on my mistakes, which I'm sure many who hopefully are listening can probably relate to. I kind of let those mistakes ruin future moments. And so I would actually oftentimes like sing one of my favorite pump up songs to just like distract myself and and bring myself back to the present moment. Or I kind of call it dictating the game. I would actually talk to myself. People, the people I was playing probably thought I was bonkers, but I would literally talk about what was happening in the game out loud just because I knew I couldn't think about that mistake and do that at the same time. Um, so yeah, some just kind of quirky refocusing techniques. And then I think the routine is, is what I can think of um, at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of routine is so interesting because we try to use it um, not from a necessarily performance standpoint, but from like consistency and implementation of, home programs or like maintenance programs long-term is getting athletes to incorporate some of the things that they need into their warm-up routine or into their cool-down routine. Or, um, we 
you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of sleep and recovery from like injuries and things like that. And so we'll really try to encourage athletes to like build like a pre-sleep routine to try to help like trigger their body into like, okay, I do these five things and then I fall asleep. And like, that can actually help over time. Like for athletes that have a hard time sleeping the night before games, things like that. So, I mean, I think that idea routine, I hadn't, I haven't really thought about it from like the mental side, but it's something that we really preach because it, it's just such a good way to like build consistency and like get these important things done. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think the consistency piece, uh, really kind of lights up in big bold letters to me. I think the consistency piece is important. I think it helps regulate emotions. Um, like I said, it's something you can count on, you know, what you're doing, you know, even like I had mentioned before, what you want to think, um, and how you want to mentally, physically, emotionally, even prepare for that game. And, um, I think laying that out and trying to stick to that every game, then it's like, you know, what's coming Yeah, because you're about to jump onto the field, onto the court, onto the track where maybe you don't know exactly what's coming. So the fact that you have that routine, um, and it can make you feel prepared and put you kind of in that right mindset before practice or competition, I think plays a big role in allowing you to perform more consistently. Yeah, no, for sure. I know just in like some sports specific things, looking at some like timing based sports, like pitchers or professional golfers, you can almost time like from the time they choose the pitch that they're going to throw or from the time that the golfer like chooses the shot that they're going to hit, like you can almost set a stopwatch to like that pitcher's routine is like eight seconds or that golfer takes 12 seconds. Like they do the same thing. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, one of our professional pitchers works with a, a mental performance consultant. And one of the things that they talk about is like the hitter has the same routine. And one of the things that the pitcher can try to do is like mess with the hitters timing, like, you know, take them out of their, like, you know, pre hitting routine rhythm, um, because the pitcher is ultimately in control of like when the ball actually gets thrown. Um, so even in like small settings and like kind of time-based sports where it's not just an up and down team sport, like, uh, there's little things that these routines really can impact performance. There's these little like games of the hitter trying to throw off the pitcher's routine, vice versa, um, within, within innings and within games, which is kind of funny. That's interesting. I think I'm going to pay a little bit more attention the next MLB, MLB game I watch uh, to see if anyone's trying to juke someone else out as they prepare for their at bat. But um, yeah, I had never, I'd never heard of that, but that kind of makes me start to think about other sports, like even in soccer, you know, yeah. when you get the PKs, I wonder if that ever goes on with the keeper trying to mess with, you know, the kicker's routine as, you know, they approach, approach to the ball for their PK. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'd never heard of people trying to mess with other people's routines. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was I like when they were telling me that I was like, I guess it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, and it's one of the advantages that the pitcher has like in that setting. So why wouldn't you try to take advantage of it? If you get to dictate, um, kind of the speed of the, of the, um, you know, competition, if you will, like, right it's an advantage and you should, you should use it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I try to pay attention to these things quite a bit when I watch any sport, but particularly when I watch um, baseball, I feel like every batter has some type of routine, yep. even if it's 
unstrapping their gloves and putting them back on, stepping out of the box, right? Like doing something funky with the bat, you know, looking a certain way, but they all seem to have some type of routine that they stick to whether things go well or don't go well, they kind of stick to that routine. And so trying to influence or uh, mess up that routine it's an interesting strategy. Yeah. It's an interesting strategy. Yeah. It's funny that you said that because the other thing that sticks in my mind with routine and particularly while we're on, on baseball, or, but like when players are coming back from injuries, everyone wants, wants to like go to the cage and hit when for the first time they want to go hit hundreds of baseballs and they just stand there and like, just keep grabbing balls and hitting and hitting and hitting, but they never go through that same routine like they would in a game before they actually hit. And so we, I haven't done it from like, I'm sure it impacts performance, but one of the things that we do to try to get players to like slow down, because when they're coming back, we don't want them to go hit 200 balls. We want them to hit 25 or 50 the first time or whatever the case may be. We really try to encourage them. I, I would force them if I could, but try to educate them and encourage them to like, actually whatever that goofy routine that they have like do it every time even when you're just in the batting cage from our perspective it then you could spend the same hour in the cage and probably hit half the number of balls because you slow yourself down and that's what we really care about but talking to you i'm sure that there's a performance benefit of like you actually stay like in that same routine there's probably better like carryover and and even you know solidifies that more i would assume yeah, that's that's tough because I know there's benefit from repetition, right? So to get in there and just, you know, like you said, hit 100 balls is one thing. If you're going to do your pre-performance routine in that same amount of time, you probably can only hit like 20 balls. So, you know, I guess it depends on what your goal is that day at practice. Uh, but, you know, I do believe in the idea of practicing kind of like you play and trying to replicate game day scenarios in practice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there has to be a balance and to your point there, especially if they're coming back from an injury, um, I think taking it slower and either it, maybe it's recreating that routine, you know, um, or getting back to what it feels like, um, to kind of step up to the plate. I think that routine piece is probably pretty important. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, kind of we mentioned, and I think one of the interesting things about you is just your kind of well-rounded background as both a player, then as a soccer coach, and then now from the mental performance consulting side. Um, like I know one of our values at Kinetic is teamwork and just talking with you. That's something that you really share is this idea of like building a team around um these athletes. And so I'd be curious to get your take or kind of explain on like what you think about or mean with this. We talk about this inter interdisciplinary team and why it's so important for athletes uh, to develop that. And then maybe a second question would be um, we could get into it from like a coach's standpoint of like, how do you, how do you, why do you need this team as a coach? And like, how do you actually go about developing like a team of professionals around you as a coach? Yeah. Those are two great questions. Um, to tackle the first one, what an interdisciplinary treatment team is, this is like a group of different individuals, different professionals in the health and kind of sport fields that are working together 
both with each other, but then also around the athlete and with the athlete. Um, I think a great way to picture this is if you picture like a spider web and the athlete is at the center of that web. Um, all of those professionals from different disciplines are working and communicating with each other in order to kind of best serve that athlete. Um, and I think at the college level, they do a pretty good job of this, right? Because everyone's employed by the college or university. So you've got your PT, your AT, you know, the doc there, um, the sport or the strength and conditioning coaches, the sports psych. And it's pretty easy to keep everyone on the same page because they all usually see the athlete, you know, on a weekly basis um, and are, you know, under the same roof, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and I think where we struggle to do this is at the youth level. You know, we have a lot of knowledgeable individuals within communities uh, to work with the athletes, but um, the issue is they're not working with each other. So they could be at school and that's where they receive, you know, strength and their strength and conditioning coaches at their school, but then they play for a club. So they go there and get, you know, the technical and tactical aspects of the sport. And then, you know, they see you as they're recovering from an injury. And then they come and see me for some, you know, mental performance related assistance. And again, none of these individuals communicate with each other yet all of these different areas impact one another. So, you know, I think that second question is one I'm still trying to work on. How do we create this environment for the youth athlete? That's a really great question. Um, I think a great way to start is to bring these professionals in and at least uh, educate the athlete. Like, look, these are individuals that can assist you. Um, even more like people like you and me who have communicated and know how important that is and are kind of trying to work together on this, even if we can somehow, you know, post a Zoom call or send out an email um, that educates not only the athlete, but the parents about what it is we do, but that we also communicate with each other to ensure the best outcome for their athlete. You know, something like that might be a great first step. But like I said, that's something I'm still working on <laughs> over here. Yeah, no, I know. I think it's interesting. And I think it's, um, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be too negative. I, I think that even the college and professional sports world, I do think it's easier than it is in the youth athlete world. And I do think there's some places that do do like a great job. So I, I don't want to like throw everyone under the bus, but I feel like this interdisciplinary team thing is like everyone's favorite talking point. But when you actually get in there and like talk to them, it really doesn't work as well as they'd like you to think like from the outside. And I think this is especially in like, like the string conditioning and athletic training or string conditioning and physical therapy, if you will, like there's so much overlap and there's almost these like little interdepartment turf wars over who gets to do what with the athletes and who's responsible for this. And, and, uh, so I think even in those settings, it ends up being hard. And then, and I think they try hard and like, they, I, I'm not, I have a lot of friends there and in, in those settings and like the intentions are really good, but once you're actually like trying to do it, it gets hard and it's high stress and there's a lot of pressure and a player gets hurt. And it's like, well, somebody's getting blamed for that injury, whether that's fair or not. And so there's, 
just all this stuff that goes into it. And now you take that outside, like we were mentioning, you're not even in the same building. You don't work for the same people. Um, you're probably in separate businesses and it just gets, it gets even messier. And what we see is a lot of it ends up falling on like the athletes or the athletes family of like, it's like the telephone game. Like, well, I went to the doctor and the doctor said this. So then the kid comes and tell, tells us that then we say something, the kid has to go tell their coach that. And it's like this message, like, you know, gets lost through everyone like passing yeah. along small little snippets. And it, it, in our experience, like puts more stress and pressure on like the athlete and their family um, yeah. versus just having professionals that are able to like shoot an email or send a text or, or communicate over um, those individuals a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes, to your point, a certain level of respect, but then also being able to say like, I think everyone loves to say, well, what I'm doing is most important. Right. I think to be able to step back and say, yeah, that's really important. Let me know how I can help or let me know how I can support that athlete. Um, And then kind of getting over this idea of like stepping on each other's toes, like, like get over it. Right. You're not the, you're not the priority here. The athlete is. Um, and so I understand we're all trying to live and make money, but I think we have to do our best to do what's right by the athlete. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to admit when you're wrong or you have to, um, take a little bit of extra time, even if it's unpaid to send an email or to call someone up and communicate about an athlete. Um, and so that might mean a smaller caseload just so you do your job a little bit better, but I do understand that that's tough. And I will agree with you that it's not always done very well at the collegiate or professional level. Um, you would think, like you said, you would think it would be easier, um, but you're definitely right. People put it off and, uh, don't always, I feel like follow through, um, with passing along the information very yes. well, or even following up. Right. Yeah. So I, I agree. I agree with you on any fronts and without throwing anyone under the bus, I definitely think it can be better at all levels. <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. And I think one of the things that we talk about with like, um, like team sport coaches here is, I mean, let's be honest, like, okay. Some of the clubs, like there might be, one or two coaches that are full-time, but a lot of those, a lot of, even at the club level, those, those coaches have other jobs or other responsibilities, um, at the high school level. I mean, those coaches are primarily teachers, like, and they're definitely not a full-time soccer coach or a full-time, you know, they're either teachers or they have another job and they're doing this because they love it or on the side or whatever the case may be. Um, and we feel like so much is expected of them and they feel like they have to like know all of this stuff, <laughs> like that it's their responsibility to like know how to warm up their team and know how to condition their team and know how to, uh, you know, motivate their team and all of these things. And it's like, you really, it's really not. And there there's professionals in the area or in all of these fields that would like be happy to help you. And um, so when we start talking to coaches, it's like, every time you're like, I feel like I need to go learn something new to like do this. I'm like, probably rather than just learning it, like 
probably try to figure out who you should talk to that could like either teach you or help you or give you a resource or point you in the right direction. And then like, that would be my suggestion if you were a coach on like how to start building like this team around yourself is like, like, let's use you as an example. Like, okay, you're having a hard time with like kids that get really stressed before games or something like that. Um, rather than like trying to figure <laughs> figure out like what's the way to get them to uh you know what motivational tactic or what should you do with that like reach out to joanna and like raise this question see if she has resources or if she could do something for your team and that's that's how we built a lot of our relationships with coaches um like a common one for us is like we'll go in and teach a warm-up because a lot of the coaches will be like hey we had a lot of these injuries and like i feel like we should be doing something about it and um, we're like, we're often like, well, what do you do as a warm up? It's like, well, I don't really know the captains run it or like I, and so that's like, we're like, Hey, how about this? This is like one of the easiest ways for you to reduce some injuries. Don't worry about it. We'll come in, we'll teach it. We'll provide you the resources so your team can do it. And then it starts building this like great relationship, um, through that, like as simple as it is. And, um, and then we're able to help more and more and more and give them more resources as these problems come up. Yeah. You know, that's a Good point. I will admit, I often think about these situations with club teams, um, not necessarily high school. Um, not that, you know, I think it's different from sport to sport in terms of uh, how serious a high school athlete is versus an elite club athlete. But nonetheless, um, I have I haven't thought about that a lot with high schools, and part of that is because of my experience. Uh, you know, I've gone in and provided some services to different high schools in the area. Um, a lot of it for free because they don't have the funds right. um, for something like that. And while I love doing that, I, you know, my time is limited as well. So I can only do so much of that. Right. Um, and, but, you know, I think that's a great point. I think it's a great starting point. I think there just needs to be a bit more openness to bringing outside individuals into the high school. Yeah. Cause I know there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through to get into yes. schools, Yeah, uh, but it would be a great starting point. No, absolutely. No, I think that's, uh, I mean, I just think it's important. And that I think just even just bringing awareness from the coach's perspective at, at any level that, you know, you're, you don't have to be on your own and, and really this interdisciplinary team, like it's really meant to like at the professional level, ultimately it's typically the head coach that's driving the bus. Like everything else is really meant to support their vision for the team in terms of how are the athletes conditioned and how are like all of these things, you know, most of those well-run kind of um, athlete support teams at those levels, like they really are like the head coach isn't doing the work and like driving it, but like the, the, whoever the high performance director, whoever it is that's running that ultimately is trying to like enact the head coach's vision. And so, um, I think if there's a coach that's listened to this, um, that would just be my guidance for you is just like, start, you know, don't feel like you have to do it by yourself and just start looking for local resources and ask questions and, and ask for help. And don't feel like you have to be an expert in anything. Like, we all went to school for, for years and years to learn right. this stuff. And, um, you don't have to do it by yourself. Yeah. 
yeah, that it's that first step of admitting they need help or admitting that they're not the professional in that area of expertise. Like we talked about before, um, I think that would be the perfect world, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. We'll keep working on it. We'll get there yeah, one day. We will. We will. We'll <laughs> Maybe steps, one win at a time as we uh, as we go. Process focus. Process focus. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so then kind of building off of that, we're because I think it really goes hand in hand. Like in today's world, we're seeing more and more kids that are getting burnt out and stopping playing sports or dealing with like this intense stress that's making sports not as fun for younger and younger players. Um, in the news, you see more and more cases of mental health issues in, in athletes or just athletes that just walk away from games that they loved before they reach their ultimate goal. What are you seeing kind of in your world that might be contributing to some of these, this high stress and like these, this burnout in youth athletes? Um, yeah, this is a loaded, this is a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there are multiple things that are kind of at play here. Um, one of them being like our culture has really shifted over the past several, several years. I feel like making results the most important thing. So we're in this outcome, almost obsessed um, culture and it has put, I think, extra stress and pressure on our athletes. Um, and, you know, at the youth level, I see a lot of, well, parents will leave one club and go to another club just because they want their kid to be on the top team. Right. <laughs> Not the best environment. They just want them to be on the top team. Right. So just focus so much on the outcome of being the best players want to win games. Uh, they want to be a starter. They don't want to come off the bench. They want to be a starter. And so I think being obsessed with the outcome and the results has impacted our athletes in a few ways. One of them is obviously this preoccupation with the results kind of um, disrupts their focus, right? So there's a lot of things, and I always, always use soccer as examples because I played soccer, but there's a lot of things that go on in the 245 minute halves and a lot of things you need to do well. Um, and right in order to get that outcome that you want. So we've got to focus on the process to get that desired outcome. Yet we're so focused on the results and the outcome that our, we know we lose sight of those baby steps that we need to take um, to get that outcome we so desperately desire. I also think um, these expectations and pressure to get that result kind of leads to a fear of failure almost. And it debilitates athletes. I can't tell you, I mean, I would say 75% of the athletes I work with have some type of anxiety, pre-competition anxiety, during competition anxiety. And so this like idea of failing or making mistakes, we put this label on it and stamped it as like bad, where in order to improve and in order to get better, our athletes need to take risks. They need to fail and they need to get back up and to try again. Yet we only applaud them when they're successful. I feel like we've got to start applauding them when they take that risk and they fail um, and then encourage them to get back up and to just try again. So ultimately, I think these kind of two parts, this, you know, focusing too much on that outcome 
and uh, it being distracting. And then this kind of fear of failure and performance anxiety has kind of led sport to be unpleasant, unfulfilling. It's not fun anymore. And that is, I feel like, what leads to the burnout or the leaving the sport altogether. Yeah. I think there's a lot in there that I want to dive into a little bit more because I think that was really good. Where are you seeing the the focus on the outcome come from? Is it the athletes themselves? Is it their parents? Is it the like the coaches? Like what's the, are you seeing any like consistent trends and like, where's that intensive focus on that outcome like coming from? Uh, so this is a tough question to answer because I'm, despite talking about this interdisciplinary treatment team, I'm not immersed in their practices. I'm not at school. uh, I'm not at home. So I don't know if the parents are reinforcing it. I don't know if the coach is reinforcing it. Uh, I don't know if it's social media. I mean, when you watch sports center in the morning, Brewers lost again, (laughs) or, you know, Bucks won or whatever, you know, the team is, we highlight those things or we highlight mistakes or the home run that wins the game on social media. So I think it could be coming from a lot of different angles and kind of circle back and answer your question. No, I haven't really seen like a consistent theme. Uh, It's been a combination of kind of all of those things. Yeah. No, because I think it's something that we, we definitely see even just in terms of, um, like no one ever just wants to get back to play for fun. Like there's always a, there's always a date and it's always a tournament or a showcase or a, like, there's a, I want to do this thing, this college ID camp or this, whatever the case is, there's like these very externally driven, um, like goals that are sort of artificial and they're really not that meaningful. And, and like a lot of times we follow up with like, well, I mean, is your goal to have the best possible outcome from this injury and like return at a high level and stay on the field for a long time? Or is your goal to get back for this thing? And when push comes to shove, those might not be aligned. Right. And we might have to cut corners to try to get you ready for that. That might impact the long run. But if you play in that thing, then are you, is that, is that successful for you? And, and, um, we push pretty hard on families of like, you know, trying to really think through that and like, give us an honest answer. And, and there are times, like if it's a, it's a junior and it's their last chance to get recruited or whatever the case may be, like there, there might be some things in youth athletes that like might be time focused, but more often than not, like there's really no rush because there's going to be another one of those in three months <laughs> or in six months or next year. And we're like, why? Like, I, I, I just always struggle. Like, why do you care so much about this thing? Um, when yeah. there's more and more and you're a freshman or you're a sophomore, like no one cares who the best freshman baseball player is or soccer player is. If your goal is to play college or professional or whatever that is like, no one cares in in your freshman year, like how good you are. It's like to your point, like it needs to be a process and we need to have this longer term viewpoint of like, 
what is going to give you the best chance to, to be the best player you can be at, you know, later in your career, at developing long-term into a collegiate soccer player and stop being so like minutia focused on this tournament. Like this tournament is the biggest deal. It's like, no, it's not. Cause if you're a terrible player everywhere else, other than this tournament, it probably doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. That is, I feel like tough because I reflect on my experience as a youth athlete. And I try to think back to what my immature freshman self would do <laughs> in a situation where I'm injured and all I want to do is play. I feel like that takes a pretty uh, mature level of thinking to say like, okay, while I really want to play in that showcase tournament, there's another one four months from now. And it's better that I just focus on, you know, this step in my rehab process so that I'm that much better and more prepared for that tournament at that four month mark. I feel like we get these athletes get hyper-focused on their wants and their desires and yep. not necessarily what their body needs. Yep. This is something I've struggled with in working with some youth athletes and so oftentimes I present the question of like, what's your why? Why do you play the sport that you play? Why is it fun? Why do you, despite the stress and the pressure and, you know, having this injury happen, why are you trying to get back? Right. So I asked that question and you would be so surprised at the number of athletes that don't really have an answer. Yeah. Well, because I love it. Okay. But, but why, why yeah. do you love it? And you know, when they get down to the nitty gritty, I do find that an athlete's version of fun evolves. So when you ask like a 12 or 13 year old, Hey, why do you play soccer? Why do you play baseball? Oh, because I get to hang out with my friends and it's social. And I really enjoy that part of it. And then they get to that 14, 15 age range where there's that more deliberate practice and it becomes a little bit more serious. And now fun is being competitive and winning. And then maybe that evolves to, um, well, it's fun when I'm successful and it's fun when, you know, I get to go to these big tournaments and play. And so I feel like that sometimes drives the decision-making instead of, um, to your point, you know, the more process focused day at a time, how can I be the best performer today? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, we do the same thing and we try to sit down with them and they're like, okay, yes, you're in our office. Cause you hurt. So obviously your goal is to not have pain anymore. We understand that, but like, let's get a little deeper than that. And like, what's, what really is your long-term goal? We, we share this example and I, I love it because it, it, I think sums it up in some way better than I could ever do it. Um, with like the importance of process versus outcome is we had two, two basketball players, two female basketball players, both coming back from ACL injuries that surgery within like a week of each other. And one was a top 10 girls player in the country. He's playing at a premier division one school has a chance to be a professional basketball player. The other was a senior in high school and had no interest in playing with college. Like she was a starter, good player, no interest in playing college, just wanted to get back and enjoy her senior year. The one girl ended up sitting out a full two years because um, it just between the school that she went to and her family and her, like it was in her best long-term interest to redshirt her first year. Um, She was actually doing better than the other girl that we ended up clearing to play for her senior season with some restrictions. And 
everyone understood the risks and um, all of that. But like we manage those two cases differently because their whys were very different and like their long-term goals were very different. It's like, without, without that, like we went through the same process, but we made a different decision because of like that end goal. And I think kind of sums up like what you're saying about being focused on like the process of, of what you're doing and the decisions that you're making and the things that you're doing throughout that versus like the ultimate outcome. Um, because obviously if either of those two girls ended up getting re-injured, we'd feel bad and, you know, reflect backwards on like, maybe we should have done things differently or whatever the case may be, but we were very satisfied. Like the way that we approach rehab is like, we're very satisfied that if we check off these steps and we stay focused on this, that we're going to set ourselves up to make the best decisions in each athlete's best interest based on their goals. And then, you know, from there we'll live with the outcome. Like I can sleep at night if we did everything like consistently in the right way to the best of our ability. And we, you know, stuck to our process of this rehab, you know, sports are chaotic and unfortunately bad things happen to really great people, no matter what you do. But, um, that's why I think it's so, so important to like follow those steps so that you're not looking back and saying like, Oh, I wish I would have done this differently. Yeah. So do you ever provide example? Like, I know you work with a lot of youth athletes as well in the community. So do you ever provide examples like that, uh, to the athletes that you're working with to say like, Hey, look, this is a great example, you know, of this and why this is important. Does that like resonate with them? We try to, we try to tell stories like as much as we can, um, of, and like lay out examples. I think it works better in my opinion. It helps it stick more than just like me telling you this because it's easy to like tune that out, but we share other people's stories. We try to, you know, and everyone's always interested by high performers. Right. And so like the professional athletes that we work with, like we, as much as we can, we try to highlight some of those things, things that we see that like set them apart or are unique about how they've gone through it or the rehab that they've done or whatever the case may be. And we can't share like personal information, but we try to share the relevant details about those stories. And, um, that seems to really like make a difference. Um, and, Like I can get my point across where it, like it'll actually stick better if I share stories like that versus just telling you like, this is our process and this is why like people get pretty bored with that. But when we, we can like paint a picture, um, that's helped. Yeah. I, you know, in reflecting on my own experiences that has always helped me as well. I mean, I have some older athletes I work with you know, you 17, you 18. And I have gotten referrals for like younger athletes, 14, 15, 16, who say, oh, my neighbor is so-and-so. And And they told me they're working with a mental performance consultant. And I realized I need help. So I think knowing that these other kind of maybe role model type individuals, hey, they're doing this and it's helping them and it's important. Um, like you've kind of used some of those professional and collegiate athletes that you work with to kind of paint that picture. Sometimes it, they need that nudge. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I mean, even as simple as like little stuff, like working with a mental performance consultant, when we make the, when we make like a referral of like, you should talk to this person. Sometimes we'll be like, you know, we've had these clients that have worked with somebody like this or with this person or whatever. And they've, this is what they felt like 
it really made a difference for them. And they're like, this is how they told us that it helped them just as a, like, you know, I could tell you that I think you should do this, but it seems like it goes much better. And I'm like, I think you should do this. And this is why, like, we had this other person that did this and this is what they said. And like, I think they're way more likely to actually pick up the phone and like call you. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. If mom and dad says you should do it, no go. Yeah. But if so-and-so or this person that's a senior or this person that's a professional, if they're doing it, oh, then okay, mom, maybe that's a good idea. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I can't let you go without at least talking about injury and rehabilitation. Um, We obviously feel as we've talked about with you that the mental aspect is crucial to any rehab program. Um, I know you work with some athletes that are coming back from injury. What are some common things that you see athletes struggle with as they come back and work through a rehabilitation process? Uh, I would say fear of re-injury is very common. Yeah. Um, how to like build confidence as they're coming back yeah. uh, from that injury, maybe even like maintaining motivation. I know sometimes depending on what type of injury, such as an ACL, that's a very long recovery process. And so how to kind of maintain motivation throughout that recovery process um, and really trust and stick to their you know, program. Um, and then and we've kind of been preaching about it, but focusing on the process. Uh, a lot of athletes have that angle in mind. I want to get back on the field. I want to get back on the court, back on the track. And so trying to redirect their energy and their attention, you know, to the, to the process, um, I would say are some of the most common ones, even like with youth athletes, like keeping their eyes on their own plate, obviously there's tons of social comparison. Well, that person had an ACL injury, but they came back in two weeks, obviously being very extreme here, you know, but there's a lot of that social comparison. And so just trying to remind them your body, your journey, your mental, your physical are very different than, you know, Susie next door. So keep your eyes on your own plate kind of thing. I think that's really good advice. We need to, we need everyone to listen to that. Um, And yeah, we see that all the time. Like, well, my teammate did this. I'm like, well, your teammate probably isn't ready to play yet, but (laughs) it doesn't really matter. Like this isn't what you're doing because we're going to do it this way. And this is why, but uh, I'd be interested to dive a little bit more just quickly into like the the fear and the confidence thing, do you have some, like, I know everyone's going to be very, very different. And so if you can't generalize this totally, okay. But I'd just be curious, like somebody that's really scared of, of getting re-injured and, and we see this a lot to the point that it can really un- end up like being the limiting factor in their rehabilitation program. What might be some examples of, of something that you might use, like one of those mental tools that might be able to help an athlete that's like really dealing with a lot of that kind of fear of re-injury and like confidence in that injured site. Yeah. You, you're right about the, you know, the individual being key, but you know, what works for the individual, but I would say some common ones that I've common tools and skills I've used in the past uh, imagery. So imagining that knee, that elbow, whatever it is getting stronger, um, even digging into uh, what I call like their bank account of successful performances in the past, uh, trying to imagine themselves doing that again, 
uh, with, you know, throughout their rehab process. Cause a lot of times, especially in those longer, uh, for those longer rehabs, they are, you know, icing and elevating. And so they can't actually perform. So to kind of run through mental reps, yeah. uh, that's usually a more difficult skill for a youth athlete. So it takes some time. Um, but that one I have found is uh, successful and a, and a lot of people like also just like refocusing strategies, you know, the athlete that is fearful of re-injury often loses focus or, I call it the what if game. They try to predict the future, right? What if, you know, my knee gives out and I re-injure it? Or what if it doesn't hold up? Or, you know, what if, what if, what if, right? So they try to predict the future. So helping them kind of refocus and then, you know, think about the relevant cues in their environment, depending on what they're doing, but then also redirect their energy, whether that's to the rehab process, to watching and giving feedback to their fellow performers on the field, if they're just going to practice. Um, so yeah, just like redirecting focus, redirecting energy, I would say I've, that kind of immediately come to mind. No, I think that's, I think that's really good, uh, really good tips. So I've taken up a lot of your time, but I, I hope everyone's able to take something really positive away from this, whether it's an athlete or a coach or a parent, um, that's going through any of this, um, for people that would like to learn more about you and what you do, where can people find more information? Yeah. So, um, my website, jcbmentalperformance.consulting, uh, I've got business cards at your facilities and brochures and that kind of thing. So if they're heading to you, they can, you know, get that information there. Uh, I am also on Instagram and Facebook, same thing, JCB Mental Performance Consulting, and they can always reach me by phone um, or email. And that information um, is, you know, located on my website. So they can take a peek there. Perfect. Well, we will get uh, the, the website and the uh, Instagram handle in the show notes today. So people can hopefully look you up uh, on there. And I really appreciate the time. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.